Ready for the word? Yes. <laughs> okay, good. Um, let's do this. Um, top 10 reasons why we as Christians don't tell people about Jesus. You want to do that or not? You want to skip that part? Uh, top 10 reasons why we as Christians don't tell people about Jesus. Uh, here's, a, here's one. Um, we don't actually believe non-Christians are going to hell. So we, we don't tell them. Two, uh, not my gift, not my thing, someone else's job. Isn't that what we pay pastors for? No. All right. Three, afraid of what people will think of me, afraid of being made fun of. Four, I don't want to rock the boat. Just live and let live. So very Canadian. Five, I don't know how and don't want to know how. Don't tell me. Number six, how I live doesn't match what I say I believe. Well, I don't want to get called out. Too comfortable. Mm, lazy. Eight, afraid of reprisal or losing relationships. Or nine, don't believe that's our mission. Or ten, I don't like confrontation. Uh, we could talk about these in terms of being obstacles to the spread of the gospel, obstacles that are rooted inside of our own uh, hearts, our own thinking. And in today's passage, we see the believers in Jerusalem, the very first church gathered together in the first few weeks that this church exists, and they're facing down major obstacles to the witness of Jesus Christ. They're facing threats and warnings, and this we, we heard in last week's passage in verse 17 of Acts 4, threats and warnings to speak no more to anyone in this name, in the name of Jesus. And the response of the believers we're going to see today was to pray, asking God to give them strength, and this is out of today's passage, verse 29, give them strength, give them courage to continue to speak his word with all boldness. And that's a word we looked at last week, boldness. And so in the, in the face of 10 reasons why we wouldn't witness, or 20 reasons, or 30 reasons why we don't tell people about Christ as we ought to. What I'm thinking is we could use the same prayer that's being prayed today in this passage. We could use the same prayer in our own lives. The same prayer for boldness for ourselves. And so here's the passage. It's Acts 4, 23 to 31. Um, you know the drill here. I'll read it, I'll pray, and then we'll get after it. Sound good? Verse 23 of Acts 4. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats 
And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray together. Father, a lot of good things have already happened in this place today. We've, we've sought to worship you. We've brought our prayers to you. And Father, we've seen uh, these folks baptized and heard the testimonies of life change. Father, it's even just a good thing that we got together in this room. And I pray, Father, that you would continue that good thing that you're doing. That you would open our hearts and our minds to understand and accept the word of God. And that every one of us, a father in this room today, would take steps forward in our walk with you. And these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, when facing obstacles in telling people about Jesus, this is a seven-point outline. Who came up with that? All right. Seven points. When facing obstacles and telling people about Jesus, first, uh, pray with others about it. And I love that in verse 23 when they were released. They, remember, they had been arrested and brought before the religious uh, council, uh, the Sanhedrin, and they were interrogated by them. As soon as they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. That's verse 23. And it's such a simple but necessary uh, principle that in the church, as believers, we need each other. That God has actually fashioned us as human beings to be in community with one another. The, The phrase that's often used in small group ministries is that we're better together. We don't do the Christian life solo or to use another cliche because we want to pull out all the cliches today. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. God has put us together in what we call an uncommon community that has, as we'll see in next week's passage, verse 32 says, everything in common, everything in common. Or as we saw back in chapter 2, after Peter's sermon and so many came to Christ, the description of the church in 242, they devoted themselves to fellowship. The Greek word koinonia, a wholesale sharing of life together. And that's what God calls us to. And so the, the burden for those who are spiritually lost, who do not yet have Jesus... That burden is so great that we must bear that burden together. The the weight of it is so heavy on our hearts and on our minds that we have to find some other friends, as the passage says here, so that we can get together with them, so we can pray about these very same things and bear that weight together. And Jesus felt this very same weight. And I think we can take some comfort in that, in fact. In Luke 19, 41, we have the description of the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and ascending the hills and coming into the city. And when he first gets a glimpse of the city, Luke 19, 41 says, as he drew near and saw Jerusalem, do you know what the text says, what he did? What did he do? He wept over the city. 
because he knew how spiritually lost they were and how much they needed the message of the kingdom that he was preaching. He wept because he was so burdened for their lostness. And when we see the obstacles and we know the challenges to sharing the gospel with those who don't yet know Jesus, we should be gathering friends and telling them and helping them and them helping us bear that, that burden of witnessing. When they got together, verse 24, the, the, the first part says, when they heard it, when they heard the story, when they heard about the interrogation, when they heard about them being, being thrown into the prison overnight, they lifted their voices together. They lifted their voices together to God. And when we hear it from each other, when we hear these stories, when we know these burdens, when, when I know about your loved ones who don't know Christ and you know about my loved ones who don't know Christ, then we bear that burden together and we lift our voices together to God for those things. And then as you start the prayer itself, here's a second one. Pray, pray, acknowledging God's greatness. And that's always a great starting point. Not that it's absolutely necessary. Not that every prayer needs to start with an ascription to God. But that's a great way to pray. To take a moment to reflect on before you start bringing your list to God. Here's my burden. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm asking for. Here's the blessing that I think you should bring. Before we even get to our list of things, we first of all rehearse who he is and what he has done. Because so much of what we fret about will melt away when we simply remind ourselves who God is and what he's capable of. Don't you think? So much of what we fret about and worry about and carry around will melt away if we would only just remember who God is. And so they prayed. Verse 24 continues. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. I mean, you start to think about the things that God has done that are absolutely mind-bogglingly awesome. He made bears. Bears are awesome. Grizzly bears, brown bears, black bears, panda bears, koala bears. Are they really bears? I don't think so. Teddy bears. God made all of it. It's awesome. He also made butterflies. Those things are crazy. Some of them migrate from our country all the way down to South America. I mean, sometimes I see a butterfly going across my yard and I think he's not going to make it. <laughs> God made them. He made bumblebees. How do those things fly? Whales breaching the waves. How many of you have seen videos on Facebook, on social media, people on these whale watching tours? Most people pay for money for whale watching tours and never see a whale. And then there's that one person where it breaches like six feet away from the boat. And you can't not be in awe when you see a gray whale breaching through the waves. God made that whale. He commands the seasons and tides. He set the stars in place. 
He fixed the orbits. Just start digging a little bit into it, even if you're not into the science thing, just start digging a little bit into it and just see how just, if it was just off by a little bit, if one orbit was a little bit more this way or a little slower or a little faster, or if this was just a little farther from that, how the whole thing doesn't even work. How precise it is. Because God created it. And you start to think about all the awesomeness of all of that. Whatever thing you're carrying right now, God can take care of that, don't you think? He's got that. He hears your prayers and specific to this topic, he, he loves your friends. He loves your family. Could I even say this? He loves them more than you do. Nothing in this world happens by chance. Nothing is outside of his control. He is sovereign. He is king over all. And we need to acknowledge his greatness and worship him in the splendor of his majesty as we pray. Amen? All right, here's another one. Number three, pray the scriptures. I mean, everything God wants us to know is in uh, this book that we're looking at this morning. This book is God-breathed. That is to say, it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it is the final authority for all matters of life. The thing I uh, find extraordinary about the Scriptures is that it, it, in the Scriptures, you see the good, the bad, and the, and the ugly. It's all there. The Bible is not in any way sanitized. And if you did a, an exact rendering of the Scriptures... In film today, if you did an actual mini-series of the things that happen in the scriptures, it would be for sure R-rated for language, for sexuality, and for violence. Please don't ever think that this is some kind of pristine book that we have here. It is not in any way a sanitized version of history. Successes and failures get their full treatment. The human heroes that we read about in these pages are not pristine and perfect, but deeply flawed and often offside with the plans and purposes of God. And I find the Bible to be so reliable because it's so relatable. It speaks to me because it knows me. Do you get that? It knows me. It knows the human condition. And that's why when we set out to pray, that's why it's so valuable that we would actually pray the scriptures because it speaks into our condition. And these friends knew that they got together to pray and their long hope for Messiah had come and they had walked with him and they knew him and the word of God had come to life as prophecy after prophecy was fulfilled right in their presence, right in their sight. And so as they're praying here, They prayed the word, verse 25, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. They're acknowledging the inspiration of God, that that the Holy Spirit gave David the words to write. And then they quote here, if you're taking notes, this is Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. Why did the Gentiles rage? Why did Pilate and, and, the, and the Romans rage. And, and the peoples plot in vain. The Sanhedrin, the priests, the elders who plotted against Jesus. 
Verse 26, the kings of the earth, Herod, set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against God, and against his anointed Jesus. They're pulling out the scripture here to remind themselves that the opposition that Jesus faced was prophesied by David 1,100 years before it happened. There's nothing about the opposition that the young church was facing that would be taking them by surprise. They're not, they're not praying, shocked. Oh Lord, why did this happen? Why is this happening to us? Why aren't you making it easier on us? They're not praying that way. They're praying, understanding what the scriptures are saying about what they're going through. Jesus himself had told them, Luke, Luke 20, verse 17, you will be hated. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. I mean, we, I'm not sure how many of us deal with hate because we love Jesus. I, I think we deal with mocking. I think some of us get made fun of. I think... I think we uh, deal with indifference. A lot of people might just dismiss us because of it. I think that we could look at the trajectory of our society and where things are going. And we might say that the day is coming when we're going to be just outright hated for our faith. I think that day is coming. Maybe individually some of you face it from others, but it's not, it's not what these guys were facing And so pray the scriptures so that you will not be discouraged. You will have the right perspective on what's going on. So that when things get hard, when people do hate you for telling them about Jesus, you can rest in the fact that God saw this coming. That nothing is taking him by surprise and rest confidently in his strength. All right. We're doing really well. We're through three of those seven already. Don't you think? Keep going, Todd. Right. All right, here, here's a fourth one. Pray, pray the specifics of the situation. Pray the specifics. They prayed the specifics. Look, look at this. They told God, verse 27, they start to go through all the details of what went on in their prayer. This is not talking to each other, in their prayer. For truly in this city... There were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think God didn't already know all that? Did God already know all those details? And here they are praying them out from their heart. But it's funny how we pray sometimes. We pray sometimes informationally to God. You ever do that? Like you're telling God things that God already knows. We were, uh, Cheryl and I were out for breakfast a few weeks ago with uh, some, some friends. And um, it was one of our friend's birthday. And um, his wife prayed uh, grace at the table. And while she was praying grace, she said, Dear Lord, uh, thank you for this day. Um, it's... And she said her husband's name, birthday. 
He literally said, it's, let's just call him John. It's, it's John's birthday. It's John's birthday today. And da, 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 da. Amen. And as soon as she done, she's done praying, I lifted my head and I said, it's really good that you told God it was John's birthday today. Just in case he forgot. Lots of people forget birthdays. But it's good that you told. Isn't that, did I get the story right, Janie and John? Yeah. All right. <laughs> See, I say things like that because I'm a jerk, right? I mean, it's just the, it's the reality of it. But the, the, the truth of it is that God delights in hearing our prayers and answering us. God delights in us rehearsing the things that are going on in our day and in our week and in our families and in our, our lives and situations. In fact, the Apostle John, who's part of this whole thing, who's in that group, who's praying right there, later would write a letter, 1 John 5.14. This is what John wrote. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Ask anything according to his will. He's going to hear us. I started thinking about him hearing us. And I remembered that verse in Psalm 116. Verse two, that says, because he inclined his ear to me, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. He, get the, get the picture of what's going on here. This is the, he's leaning in to hear us. He's leaning in to hear us. You know, when a room gets busy and you're trying to have a conversation with someone, you pull in a little closer to them. You might even lean in and turn your ear toward them. And that's what God does with us, with our prayers. That's what he's doing in this prayer, in this gathering of of friends after Peter and John are released and they're sharing the whole thing. God God is leaning down to listen to their prayer. And when you're on your knees and when you're in your prayer closet and when you're bringing your prayers to God, when you're praying for your husband's birthday and reminding God what the date is, God's inclining his ear toward you. He's listening to your words and to your heart. He leans in. So pray. Tell him everything. Like you would to a trusted friend or a dear loved one. Because he is both of those things and so much more to us. And the specifics of our heartbreak over loved ones who don't know Christ should be felt every, every week. It is, they are felt every week in the prayer requests that you write to us. And I want to share these, some of these with you from the last couple of weeks. I want you to hear what God is hearing as we pray these prayers. I've taken the names out. Please pray for the salvation of my cousins. Please pray for my little brother. I'm unsure if he's born again. He's 17 years old, not making good decisions for his life right now. Pray that God would do a work in his heart. Pray for my mother and my siblings, unsaved, who heard the gospel message yesterday at my aunt's funeral. Pray seeds were planted, that they'll be looking for answers to all their questions. God is so good. I've been talking to someone at work about spiritual things, and now he wants to come to harvest. Pray for him. Please pray for our friends. They are not saved, but have attended church a couple of times with us. Please pray that they will continue to come with us and God will work in their hearts. My parents' salvation. 
Prayer for my cousin who's in prison, soon to be released, but is having difficulties inside prison. Pray for his safety and salvation. Prayer for all unsaved family to come to know Jesus as their Savior and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Please pray for the hearts of our unsaved family members that they would soften and be drawn to Jesus this season. Pray they get their butts to church. Amen. Amen. Pray that we will exemplify Christ to them. Save them, Lord. Salvation for my friend. Pray for our son to come back to the Lord. For my extended family to know the truth of salvation through Jesus our Lord. For myself to become a better disciple. Prayer for my co-worker that she would humbly and honestly seek the truth about Jesus Christ. The salvation of my husband and children. My mother who lives with us also doesn't know the Lord. I pray for her salvation. Pray that my extended family would see Jesus for who he is. Especially this season. Pray for... Our two lost friends, thank God for calling them to him. Please pray for the Lord to work in someone's life and for a heart to, to desire to hear from God and respond in faith. Please pray for me that faith and obedience would rise and I would be a bold witness for Christ, confident in his love and purposes for me. Point my son to Christ. Pray that my effort will do the same. Continuing to pray for the salvation of our family members who need you desperately. God wants to hear about all of that. So pray the specifics to him. Lift every name and every situation to him. Let him hear your heart. All right, here's the fifth one. When facing obstacles and telling people about Jesus, pray affirming God's control. Uh, This plays off of what we heard earlier in the opening ascription of the prayer. Notice that they prayed, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. It's a full acknowledgement that nothing is escaping God's control. We touched on this earlier in the opening of the prayer and declaring his sovereignty over everything. He's sovereign over those who are not yet believers as well. And as we think about events being predestined, we, we rest in the fact that he chose us. That those who are saved, who have had their sins forgiven, were chosen by God to that. That God is in full control even of our salvation. That raises questions, of course, about how this all plays out. How our will as human beings plays against God's sovereign will. As the one who's king over all. I like what uh, John uh, Polhill actually said about this. In the paradox of human freedom and divine sovereignty. Despite all the raging of humanity. God's purposes prevail. All of the angst we bring to things. All of our wrestling matches spiritually. All of our shaking our fist at God. All of our blaming of Him. All of our anger toward Him. All of the separation that existed. All the raging of humanity. Let's remember. God prevails over all of it. So much better that we would fully surrender to His will. The Apostle Paul said it this way with respect to our salvation, Romans 8, 
29 and 30, for those whom he foreknew, just watch the cascading effect of God's sovereign will here. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified or saved. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And this is speaking to the Christians in the room, and it gives us confidence in our God and in his work in our lives. None of that, by the way, in Romans 8, none of that negates what we read in Romans 10, 13, just a few verses later. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So God predestined, God calls, God justifies, God glorifies, but it's still on us from our perspective, to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And so if we truly grasp what the Father's love did for us in predestining us to salvation, if we truly grasp what the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ mean to us, if we truly grasp what it means to be forgiven of our sins, if we truly grasp what it means to have the hope of heaven, If we truly grasped all of that, it should motivate us, don't you think? It should motivate us to share that message with others. I mean, these apostles and believers who are praying had been gloriously and victoriously saved from this dark world and from the sin that had gripped their lives. They were no longer seekers because they had been found by God and saved. And we want that for our loved ones and friends. Our prayer list proves it. And so why would we not pull out all the stops to tell them? To invite them. To show them Jesus. This is a little bit of God's part, my part. God's part is to foreknow, is to predestine, is to call, is to justify, is to glorify. My part and your part is to share the gospel, to witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to preach the word. And so we need to pray, affirming God's control. And that leads us nicely to number six, to pray according to God's will. And you ask, what is exactly God's will, especially as it pertains to this? You see, when they prayed in verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. That's an awesome verse all on its own. When they prayed that, they were, in fact, praying according to God's will. But it might not be the way that some other people might pray that prayer in that situation. When they pray that prayer, they're telling us that they are aligned with God's purposes, not their own purposes. In fact, as we think about God's will, let's think about two, what I think are two of the most obvious aspects of God's will relative to our evangelistic efforts. First, you could write these down. God's will is not the removal of obstacles to evangelism. God's will is not the removal of obstacles to evangelism. God's will is for you and me, by the power of his Holy Spirit, to either break through the obstacle 
or listen now, this is the part that rattles us. God's will is either for us to break through the obstacle or to be crushed by it. For his glory and his greater purposes. See, that's, what, that's actually what we see happening throughout the book of Acts. It's what we see happen throughout history. Either believers who are so committed to the evangelistic mission broke through all the barriers that were around them to, to that happening, and they did it by the power of God, and they continued to be witnesses. Either that happened, or the obstacle actually took their lives. In fact, here's some examples. Scenario one. You're, you're imprisoned because you were witnessing to Jesus Christ. That's the obstacle. Now, we might pray, God, get me out of prison. God, make it so Christians don't go to prison. In other words, our natural inclination in prayer is to make it easier on ourselves. Anybody want to back me up? We pray to make it easier on ourselves. So scenario one, you're in prison for witnessing, but an earthquake leads to a prison break, which leads to greater opportunity to witness for the gospel, which leads to people being converted and coming to faith in Christ. That is an example of breaking through the obstacle by the power of God. But... And by the way, that's Paul and Silas in Acts 16. You recognize the story, right? Scenario two. Scenario two, witnessing for Christ, preaching the gospel. The people don't like it, so they pick up stones to throw at you. Conveniently, Israel is littered with stones. Literally, there are stones everywhere. So they pick up stones to throw them at you. An obstacle? Does that sound like an obstacle to evangelism? People are going to throw stones at you, and they do. And rather than breaking through the obstacles, the obstacle breaks you, and you're killed. And that, of course, was Stephen's end in chapter 7. Both of these, listen, both of these are God's will for his witnesses. We're trying to get at God's will. And what characterized the witnesses in both situations was boldness. Paul and Silas were bold in their witness. Stephen was bold in his proclamation. And that's what the believers are praying for here. Not the removal of threats and warnings. Notice that's not what they prayed for. Look upon their threats and warnings, God, and, and take those threats and warnings away. God, God, stop them in their tracks. Please ease our situation. God, divinely eliminate the opposition. That is not what they prayed. They prayed for all boldness. Just make us bolder. God's will is not the removal of obstacles to evangelism. Uh, secondly, here's the second thing about God's will in evangelism. God's uh, will is not success by our standards. God's will is not success by our standards. You know, in business, maybe some of you have heard this before, but in business, there's two different ways that you can measure progress in business called lead goals or lag goals. Lead or lag goals. And at the risk of oversimplifying this, which I probably am, a salesperson evaluated on lag goals would be judged by sales made. 
How much money did you bring to the company? How many sales did you actually make? Whereas a salesperson evaluated on lead goals would be evaluated on the basis of how many calls did you make? How many contacts do you have? Um, and and um, all the contacts and the doors knocked on. Lead goals should result, if, you, if, you're, if you're solid on your lead goals, your contacts, your calls, your doors knocked, knocked on, then your lead goals should lead to favorable lag goals. In other words, enough contacts should result in more sales. Let me give you another example to understand lead versus lag goals in the area of weight loss. Um, In the area of weight loss, a lag goal would be, um, I want to lose um, 10, 10, 10 pounds. Let's say 10. I want to lose 10 pounds. That's, that's a lag goal. The lead goals would be, um, I'm going to shrink my eating window down to 10 hours. I'm, I'm going to cut my carbs down to a certain number of grams a day. That's a lead goal. I can do that. Um, I'm, I'm going to work out. Let's be honest, I'm not going to. But I'm going I'm to work out two, three, four times a week. Okay, those are lead goals. I set those. I'm gonna, I, and, and I can do those. Those are actually something I can actually do. Those are like the contacts made, the calls made by the salesman. I can do those things. But I'm not sure that if I do those things, I'm actually going to reach my lag goal of, of losing 10 pounds. Now, I'm not really super interested in weight loss or business stuff or any of that. But as this relates to our evangelistic efforts, it's not so much about the lag goals. Here's what I'm getting at. It's not so much about the lag goals. And the lag goals would be how many people have become Christians and how many baptisms have you done? Those are the lag goals. And I just think we should never set lag goals. We should never say, hey, we want to see 100 people come to Christ this year or we want to baptize 100 people this year. I just think we should never set those goals. But what we should set are lead goals. How many conversations have you had about Christ? How many of these invitations? This is a lead goal. I want to give out 50 of these invitations this, before Christmas. That's a lead goal. I can do that. It doesn't require anything other than me with some boldness handing this to someone and inviting them. That's a lead goal. How many invites do I want to give out? How many times did I actually share the gospel? I want to do that. Those are the lead goals. And the lead lag thing is so critical in evangelism because we're not actually responsible for, if I can put it this way, we're not responsible for the sale. Right? We're, we're, we're responsible for the contact. Establish the contact. Make the phone call. Establish the relationship. God's actually responsible for the sale. God's the one by his Holy Spirit who draws sinners to himself. That's the work of conviction of sin and the person's need of Christ. That's entirely God's work. Our part is to establish the contact. And all that to say... We're not even going to set lead goals or go after those lead goals unless we pray for boldness. Boldness that we defined last week is is not an in-your-face brashness, but boldness that is the freedom to speak forthrightly of what Christ has done and how he's changed your life.
And it's God's will that you witness to Jesus Christ within the relationships he's already given to you. We want to live out our four pillars and the fourth one of unafraid witness. Share the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. Amen? We want to do that. And so, pray according to God's will. And then, uh, one more, seven, pray with expectancy. To pray in faith and hope that Jesus will save our friends and loved ones. To pray with expectancy. God, I expect you to do this. I expect you to move. I expect you to work. I expect you to speak. I mean, I want you to imagine the room where they're praying and these friends gathered together, lifting their voices together to say, give us boldness. Give us boldness, verse 30, now God's part, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. These signs, these miracles, not ends unto themselves, but things that point to the gospel, the healing of the lame man. This whole story is about that moment when Peter and John entered the temple and that man was healed. We're still dealing with all of the effects of that. The healing was not the thing. It just provoked an opportunity for the gospel. Peter and John preached the other apostles and people came to faith in Christ again and it upset the leaders and that's why we're in this prayer meeting. It's not about the signs. The signs and the miracles point to the message. They had seen the lame man healed. They knew what Jesus could do. In fact, they were witnesses to the resurrected Christ. And they were giving themselves themselves to this mission. Knowing that not only was Jesus alive and working in the world, but when we talk about expectancy, that he was going to come back and fulfill his promises and bring holiness and perfection to the creation and to humanity again. The result of their passion-filled prayer, verse 31 records, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Man, I want God to shake our building. I am not one who's satisfied with the status quo, and I want God to shake our building. We should pray and ask God to shake our building. Don't you think? I'm afraid that we're getting too comfortable. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, renewed, empowering to witness, and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Seven, seven aspects of a prayer that's going to help us push through the obstacles. And um, just as we, we're going to respond to this in a moment. And, and when, you, when you came in, you got this card. And I want you to have that out and, and, and have it ready. But you know, in Luke chapter 10, we, we read this. The harvest is plentiful. In other words, there's lots and lots of people who don't know Jesus. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The people who are, go out and witness are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. 
Pray to God to send out more bold people who will witness to Jesus Christ. The, the prayer is for the laborers. Christian, I'm speaking to you. The, the prayer is for us to boldly witness to Christ. It's awesome that we share all the names of all of our loved ones and our friends who don't know Jesus. It's awesome that we bring that. God wants to hear those names. He wants us to speak of our situation and he wants us to speak of it specifically. But the primary prayer is not for the unsaved person. The primary prayer is for us. That we would be bold. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to take that card. I hope you all have pens. And I want you to take a few minutes right now. And I want you to write the names of people that you're going to be inviting to Christmas Eve. You're going to give them one of these cards or you're going to send them an electronic version of this by text or email or on social media. But I want you to write those names right in that card right now. And if there isn't enough room there, we only gave you eight spots. The, the, the back is blank. But notice what the card says. God, I'm praying with expectancy for my friends and family. But here's the prayer. And I'm asking you to give me boldness in my witness. And then we quoted there from verse 29. Naku's going to sing over us a song that you know. You can sing or you can listen. But I want you to pray in these moments. And I'm also going to open up an opportunity for you. Because maybe some of you are saying, you know what? I need to get down on my knees to do this. And I want to show people that I'm for this. And so I want you to get up and just come up to the front here. And fill the front and bring your card with you. And pray. Pray for the names. And then pray for yourself. Don't be bashful. Push out from the crowd. Get through those seats. Don't use this. I'm in the middle of the row. Either stop sitting there or just push through. We'll be patient with one another as you move out. You come up and pray and pray for these names. All right, let's, let's listen. Let's respond to the Lord.